I don't know about you, but for most of my, for much of my Christian life, um, I've kind of ma- when it comes to Easter, I've majored on the cross of Jesus, and certainly in my in my faith, uh, and and in a sense that the cross is central. You know, because of Jesus died, we are we are freed from slavery to sin. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have reconciliation with God and reconciliation with one another. Um, There's all sorts of things. By his wounds on the cross, we are healed. Uh, There's all sorts of things that that happen as a result of the cross of Jesus. But I've so majored on the cross that actually in the past, for me as an early Christian, the resurrection was a little bit of an afterthought. It was, well, he died on the cross, that's the big thing, and, oh, and then he rose from the dead. And uh, I've been realising that that's just not been right and not been healthy because the resurrection of, without the resurrection of Jesus, everything else is meaningless. Uh, as Paul says, uh, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain, is actually what he said. And uh, we, re- we celebrate Resurrection Sunday as our day of hope, as our day of new life, as our day of assurance of what is to happen to us. And uh, when I was preparing for this, I-, I-, I looked at all sorts, there was all sorts of passages we could do this from. And in the end, I plumped for John's Gospel And there's a a few little passages from John's Gospel. Don't worry, this isn't going to be long. I actually managed it within time at the 9.15. And I know I go longer as the day goes on, but we should be all right. So be at peace. Um, And we're going to start at John uh, chapter 21. Uh, (coughs) No, we're not. We're going to start at John chapter 20. Um, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So, I'm going to paraphrase here, she came to Peter and John and she told them, uh, the stone's been removed from the entrance to Jesus' grave, to Jesus' tomb. And John, who wrote this gospel, tells us that he and Peter had a race and John lets us know, because he thought it was important, that he won the race and he got to the tomb first, which was very important that John should be keen on, on these details uh, as he's telling us about the greatest event in the history of the human race, that he won the race. But actually, as I've pondered it, he didn't win the race because what it says is he got Uh, So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, he talks about himself, started running for the tomb. Both were running, but I, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And um, And then Simon Peter came along behind me and went straight into the tomb. And so what happened was, John thought he'd won. You know, it's like those blooper reels you see. You know, where where the person's running and then at the last minute they're way ahead. They turn left when they should have gone straight on and they thought they'd won but the other person went past them. So John beats Pete to the tomb. He gets there but the idiot doesn't cross the finishing line. He doesn't go in and Pete runs straight past him and goes into the tomb first. 
This is brilliant biblical exegesis on my part. <laughs> and, and Peter saw that, that there, was, there was no Jesus. And they saw that he wasn't there. And then, this is the bit that I love, one of the bits that I love. Then they went back. And then we read, Now Mary, Mary Magdalene, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. Do you have any idea how many times after the resurrection they didn't recognise Jesus? It's because they weren't expecting to see him. Um, he asked her, so this is the risen Jesus, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, I just find that Jesus' appearance is after the resurrection. I, I love stopping to think of how it must have looked and what must have actually happened rather than just, you know, sometimes we read it like it's an impersonal story. And, and Jesus has just risen from the dead and she's there crying. I mean, she's sobbing. She's, she's absolutely distraught. This was the first man who ever showed her true love and respect, who truly, who truly treated her with dignity as a human being. And, she, and he's gone and she's crying. And now she thinks, Grave robbers have robbed his, have, have stolen his body. And she's, I mean, the mascara's going everywhere. And she turns round and, um, and there's Jesus. He's, he's, he's just standing there. And he says, woman, why are you crying? Now, what a strange thing for Jesus to say. The only explanation I have is that Jesus has a wonderful sense of humour even better than mine. You know, it's like, it's like I've just risen from the dead and I can tell you think I'm the gardener, you know? So woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord's body away and I don't know where they went. Ah. And then he just says one word. He says, Mary. Now, because this is a book, not a DVD, we don't know how he said Mary. But I wonder if he said like this, Mary, or whether he said, Mary. <laughs> or whether he said, Mary. I don't know how he said Mary, but I will put money on this, that he said her name in the same way he had always said her name. Because the next thing he says is, let go, Mary, let go. As soon, as soon as he says her name, she realises it's him. And the risen Jesus came to her grief and he came to the place of her grief 
to the place of her pain and he spoke her name and he shared her grief. This is the Jesus who wept over Lazarus before he raised him from the dead. This is the Jesus who wept over Jerusalem because he loved that city so much. And he came to her grief and on the cross, he took it on himself. But here in the resurrection, he took it away and she was filled with joy. Jesus, the risen Jesus, comes to our place of grief. And guys, so many of us, if in the last two, three years, we, we, have had, we have had times to grieve. People we've loved who have passed on. Uh, maybe things didn't happen as we hoped they would happen. Maybe a relationship that broke down. Maybe, maybe uh, finances not quite working as, as we had hoped. And the good news, and it is good news, is the risen Jesus can come and he can, and we even when in our grief we don't recognize him at the beginning, he comes and speaks our name. If we will listen, and he comes and he takes our grief away. Then he appears to the disciples. And uh, in verse 19, we read this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, hear that. They, they, were, they didn't yet believe that Jesus, they didn't yet realize that Jesus had risen from the dead. John had an inkling, we find out, but the rest didn't get it. And they've locked themselves in because they're afraid, because they're full of fear, because they, the Jewish leaders handed Jesus over to be crucified and they would have been scared that they could have been next. So they locked themselves in for fear and that's what fear does. Our response to fear is we will often lock ourselves in. We'll lock ourselves in sometimes physically. We will withdraw um, from a situation or we will lock ourselves in emotionally and we will withdraw emotionally from others because we want to guard our heart because we think that that is the safe place. And Jesus, remember, the doors were all locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, I don't know how he got in, whether he walked through the door or walked through the wall or maybe managed to prise a window open. I suspect it was one of the first two. But he comes, he came to the place where they had locked themselves in and the first thing he says, peace be with you. I am your peace. I am your shalom. It's okay, I'm here. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. Now, that's another thing. If you stop and think about it, it's like he's just died this most gruesome death on the cross. Absolutely awful. For hours, nails in his hands, in his feet, a spear in his side, the crown of thorns on his skull, drawing blood, the whipping that he'd had, the humiliation of the nakedness where they tore his clothes from him. And he's just risen from the dead 
And he's like, hello, boys. Do you want to have a look? Go on, see here. Isn't that a strange thing? Isn't that a strange thing? He's risen from the dead and he shows them his hands and his side. Why? Because he wanted to say to them, it's okay. It's okay. They're just marks now. I've done it and I'm alive and I will always carry these. Do you realize when we, when we, pass to the other side we will see him just like they saw him we will see him and we will recognize him and forever God will have the marks on his hands and on his side marks of victory not of defeat the risen Jesus came to their prison After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were overjoyed. Their fear turned to joy. And that's what Jesus does. He comes to our fears. I don't know about you, but I think most of us have got some sort of fears. Fear, whether it's fears of the future, fears in the present, whether it's fears of spiders or fears of, of losing our home or fears of losing a relationship or, what, or fears of what might what yet happen in Ukraine, fears for the planet, whatever it might be. Jesus, the risen Jesus, comes to our fears and he can come and turn our fear to joy turn our fear to overwhelming joy. That is, my friends, how it works. Then, this is my favourite one, Thomas. Thomas, also known as Didymus, probably because he was small. Now, Thomas, also known... You see, this is deep theology again. Now, Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, if you know the Gospels, you know that that was just typical of Thomas. His nickname was Doubting Thomas. You know, it was like, he, you know, he wouldn't believe any. He was the manic depressive of the group. He was, he was the, the cup is half empty guy of the group. It was like, oh, it's all gone wrong again. I knew it would go wrong again. I could have told you it would have gone wrong again. In fact, I did say it would go wrong again. Well, we may as well all go and die with him. I mean, we, we may as well. I'm not going to believe this. I mean, who said that? I don't know. I mean, there's one in every church, isn't there? It, it, drains the life out of you. You know, it's like, oh, please, please. And, and there was Thomas. He was one of the disciples. And he, and he says that. And then listen to what happens next. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Now, this is, guys, this is a week later. 
Jesus leaves it a week. I never saw this till actually yesterday when I was preparing. It was like, he leaves it a week. Can you imagine what that week must have been like for the other disciples? There was Tom. Stop going on about it. You were hallucinating. You're having a group hallucination. When you want something a lot, you can imagine it. Uh, you know, I did psychology at university. It's, it's a, it's, you're all nuts. You're all nuts. He didn't rise from the dead. If he did, where is he? Where is he? It's Tuesday. It's Wednesday. It's Thursday. Ha! Huh? It's Friday. Still not here. Yeah. A whole week, Jesus left him to make an utter idiot of himself. He left him and then a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, same miracle, and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and Jesus must have enjoyed this, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus left Thomas for a week in order, I suspect, and this is conjecture on my part, to finally deal with Thomas's doubts. Thomas for a whole week, no, 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 this hasn't happened. And then Jesus appears. Go on, I heard you. Put your finger here. Put your whole hand in here. Go on, don't be afraid, it's okay. The blood isn't flowing anymore. Put it in here. Stop doubting and believe. And listen to the response. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. We believe that Jesus is God. That, the, that God is Trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That Jesus is God. And that's clear in lots of parts of Scripture. But this is the only place where it is explicitly stated, explicitly stated, that Jesus is God. And it's in the lips of Thomas, of all people. Thomas gets to say the greatest statement of faith. And again, I think half of it is God's sense of humour. The other half, it's the Lord saying, I can use anyone. I get doubting Thomas to, to make the greatest statement of faith that could be made. What does Jesus do? The risen Jesus, he not only comes to our grief, he not only comes to our fears, but he comes to our doubts. He comes to our doubts and the risen Jesus reveals himself to us. And then this is my second favorite of the story. In John 21, um, uh, I'll paraphrase it. Now, I just need, if one of you could be just looking these passages up, um, uh, because if I think that nobody is, the grave danger is I will start making stuff up. I really will. And um, in fact, I could do it anyway just to test you. Um, and, then, and then Peter and the other disciples, they're back at the Sea of Galilee and they decide... I know we know he's risen from the dead, but he's going to ascend into heaven. 
We're back. We need to get back to the day job. We've got to earn a living. You see, three years earlier, Jesus appeared to them by the Sea of Galilee. And when he appeared to them, they left their boats, they left their nets by the shore, and they followed him. And for the next three and a half years, they had a party. And so they're back at the Sea of Galilee, and they take their boats out of storage. They wipe them down, and they go fishing. Now, one of the things that the Scripture makes very clear is that Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, their partners who were fishermen, were rubbish fishermen. At the, uh, at the beginning, when Jesus meets them, they can't, they're fishing all night and they can't catch any fish. And now they're back at the re- after the resurrection at the Sea of Galilee and they're fishing all night again. And again, they can't catch any fish. They are useless with fish. And Jesus, as he did, Three years earlier, he appeared on the shore and they didn't know who he was. And he said, throw your nets on the other side and you'll catch them. And they were like, who is this? Oh, we've been fishing all night, we're exhausted. We're not gonna have an argument. Let's do it, boys. And they catch loads of fish and that's where they get revelation that he's not just another carpenter. And they leave everything and follow him. Now they're back and they're back and they're disappointed and they feel helpless. They're disappointed. Uh, They might be disappointed with Jesus. We thought you were gonna conquer the Romans. We thought we were gonna be with you as you took your kingship. And yeah, you've risen from the dead, but it's not happened like we expected. Maybe. Certainly, they would have been disappointed with themselves. Of 12 disciples, Judas, who was no more, he betrayed Jesus. The other 10 at Jesus' moment of great need ran away. And dear Pete stayed long enough to tell three lies, to deny Jesus three times before he ran away. And Jesus was left on his own at his greatest moment of need. That would have played, wouldn't that play on your mind? That would have played on their minds. They were disappointed with themselves. We're only good for fishing and we're not very good at that. And I think they felt helpless We can't even catch fish. What's going to become of us? How are we going to earn a living? We can't even catch fish. Jesus comes and he stands at the shore of their lives and he tells them to put their nets down somewhere else and they catch loads of fish. What's this about? He says to them, I'm the same Jesus that you met at first and it's not about how good you are. It's about me being with you. Yes, you are hopeless. Yes, you can't catch fish. Yes, you are rubbish fishermen. I know that not because I've had a revelation, but because I spent three and a half years with you. But you know what? With me, you can catch fish because I've risen from the dead and I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna ascend and leave you alone. By my spirit, I'm gonna live within you. And you'll be able to do things that you can't do on your own. Jesus came to their disappointment and to their helplessness. He also comes to our sin, our sense of sin and failure and our hopelessness. Here we're coming into land now. Just when when they catch the fish, 
Jesus says, come and bring some of the fish you've just caught. And when they bring some of the fish ashore, they found out that Jesus already had fish and he was doing a barbecue breakfast for them, which sounds amazing. A bit like we're going to have next Sunday morning. Um, but ours is going to be bacon, not fish. We could have fish and bacon. Isn't that a good idea? It'll smell. No imagination, our staff. Um, Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. <clears throat> None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then just after breakfast, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now note this, he said it when they had finished eating. He didn't start talking to them while they were eating. Because in the Bible and for Jesus, eating is very important. It's another bit of deep theology. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Then Jesus said to him a second time, do you love me? You, you know I love you, feed my sheep. Then he says to him a third time, do you love me? You know everything, you know I love you, feed my sheep. What's that about? Peter had denied Jesus three times. He said he didn't even know him. He'd let him down three times. So what does the risen Jesus do? He comes to the place of Peter's great failure and he reinstates him. And what he says to him is not, now Peter, you denied me three times. Are you gonna do it again? No. Okay. Are you gonna do it again? No. Are you ever gonna deny me again? No. He doesn't say that. He just says, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter can answer. And he says, you know I love you. You know I'm weak. You know I'm broken. You know I'm messed up. You know I'll probably mess up again. But you also know, I, I, I really do love you. I really do love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. I trust you. I trust you. The risen Jesus trusted an absolute failure to serve him and to serve his people. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. The risen Jesus trusts me. He trusts you. He trusts you. That's what the risen Jesus does. He comes to the place of our sin, our failure, and our hopelessness, and he shows us forgiveness, and he gives us, he is the God of the second chance. Above all, he comes to our alienation, and this is finally, and he makes us family. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. He calls them brothers for the first time. And you know, we can be family here 
Not because we have meals. That's the second reason. But that's not the first reason. But we're family here, not because we have food together. Not because it's a warm fellowship. Uh, not because we like each other. Because some of us don't like each other very much. Especially those that don't make enough food. And um, uh, not because of any of that. We're family because he makes us family. On the cross, he reconciled us to himself, but he also reconciled us to each other. It's on the basis of the cross. And the risen Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. The risen Jesus says that because of him, we do not have to be alienated from him or from one another anymore. And I end with this. The risen Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. Now this thought came to me amazingly yesterday as I was meditating and as I was in prayer and fasting between meals. <laughs> and it just came to me as a, a revelation as, as I get these things. I mean, it's just amazing how I'm, the Lord speaks to me. And gee, God in creation, he breathed on Adam and breathed life. He breathed the breath of life and gave life to humanity. On the cross, the same God, almost certainly, it, he suffocated to death. Because the whole thing, the reason they didn't break his legs is because he was already dead. Because what they would do is they would try and push themselves up to breathe. And then after a while it was too exhausting and he would have suffocated to death. The one who breathed life into us, we suffocated. And then he rose from the dead. And what does it say? I've closed the book so I can't read it, but I'll say it. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He rose from the dead and he breathed his breath of life on us. Isn't that amazing? Now I have to be honest and I hate it. Uh, that came to me when Andy texted that to me yesterday. <laughs> and I have to say that because he's sitting here. But this afternoon, he's not going to be here because Beth's leading worship. And it's going to be, as far as they're concerned, an original Pilavachi. But isn't that amazing? That's what he does. That's what he does. And so, he gives us hope for the future. This Jesus gives us hope for the future instead of our hopelessness. The risen Jesus comes to our place of grief. He comes to our fears. He comes to our doubts. He comes to our disappointment and helplessness. He comes to our sin and failure and hopelessness. And he comes to our alienation. And he makes us family. And he gives us hope for the future. And I promise I do end with this. There is nobody who is beyond redemption. And we need to remember that. Nobody. Nobody. He, forgive, he can forgive every sin. There is nobody who is too bad.
There is nobody. And I say that because some of us might think that there are certain people that are beyond God's grace. No, 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 no. I say it even more because there might be some people here who think you are beyond God's grace. No, 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 no. He forgives all our sin if we come to him, if we come to him.